now. Thanks, Tony. Uh, you can go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Little children, it is the hour, the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they've been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have, written not, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lies of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Let's pray. God, I'm reminded right now that your word is true. Not just is it true, but Lord, your word, like the rain that falls down on us right now, it never returns void. It always produces in us, God, what you desire it to. So help us now to be hearers of your word. Not just hearers only, but Lord, hearers and then doers of your word. God, may we be a people who respond by faith to your word. Even when it's hard, even when it's, it's confusing, God, may we be a people who hear your word and respond in faith. For this is our prayer, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I hope you have your Bible open because I, it's always really important that as you, as you have your Bible open, it's not, you're not just hearing what I have to say about the text. You're seeing for yourself if it's really what it is. But as we consider this text today, it's important that we remember where we've been. Uh, two weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, before Ryan was here, we talked about how John looked at the life of the believer and he affirmed our identity as children of God. And then two weeks, two weeks ago, or however long ago, we talked about not taking the bait, and, and how, which we define as the worldly evil, a kind of evil which was, is moral, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But the kind of evil John's going to be addressing today is actually, I, w- I would call it a higher level of evil. And it's a level of evil that is at the level of philosophy or a philosophical or a doctrinal level. If you have your notes with you, um, if you get nothing else from today, get this. Discernment thrives where truth reigns. I'll say this again. There's really only two points to today. Discernment thrives where truth reigns. And deception, here's the second one. Deception thrives where lies reign. 
deception thrives where lies reign. And I know you might be like, well, that's really simple. That's a very simple truth. The discernment thrives where truth reigns and deception thrives where lies reign. But this is what John's addressing us with. And he says in verse 18, little children, you can hear him addressing these believers again. He said, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we come, by which we know that it is the last hour. So if you're taking notes, I want you to see the signs of the time. And it's this, it's Antichrist. And now no, notice how John begins talking about a singular Antichrist. He says, he says that, children, it is the last hour, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So he's talking about a singular Antichrist. But then he's also talking about many Antichrists have come. Now Jesus himself, he even said, Jesus himself talked about the Antichrist. In Mark 13, 22 through 23, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed. See, I have told you all these things beforehand. And we see John is reiterating to these, to these followers of Jesus, Hey, remember what Jesus said. There will be false prophets. There will be false teachers that come. And he says, Little children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. And Paul, in 2 Thessalonians, he says, Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So there's the singular, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. What I'm trying to show you is that all throughout the scriptures, we see this person who's, who's kind of culminating to that there will be one final Antichrist. But John takes it a step further, and this is what I want us to see today. John isn't just recognizing, oh, there's only one person who's coming, and he's the Antichrist. He takes it a step further. He says, actually, there's many Antichrists. And what, so what, we need to ask the question, what does John mean by Antichrist? Because it's only in John that we see this word Antichrist used. And the way John is using this term, it falls in line with the common belief of the day that there will be one final struggle culminating in one person. But, but he takes it a step further and he says there's many Antichrists. So the word for Antichrist is made up of two words. It's made up of the first word anti and the second word Christ. The, the word Christ simply means the anointed one, which is what Jesus is called. And the second word, or the first word, the prefix of this is anti, which is mean either the opposite of or opposed to, or instead of, instead of. So the opposite of or in, instead of. And what I want us to see here is that when we hear John referring to Antichrist, which we should have in our mind is not just a person, but we should have in our mind a vision for salvation. Now, that's far more encompassing. If we have that in our mind, not just one singular person, but actually a vision for what it means to have salvation. In other words, they are antichrists, meaning in place of Christ. Now, remember, we need to remember what Jesus has done for us. We need to remember that Jesus came and he died our death to sin. He died on the cross, was raised after three days, for our justification to be made right. And all the antichrists that we ever encounter in this world, you know what they do? Is they begin to take little pieces of that. And they begin to have their own vision for what it means to have salvation. 
Now, in John's day, he's talking about Gnosticism, which is this idea they could have special knowledge about who God was. And Gnosticism pulled many Christians away from the true Christ because they denied that Jesus came in the flesh. Okay, so Gnosticism said, nope, Jesus, he wasn't really a real person. He was just a spiritual man. And what they did is they pulled many away. And that's actually what John's talking about, I think, here in 1 John. And even in our own day, we see things like humanism, which claims that man and his ability to reason was the only hope for mankind. Or, or deism, which claimed that the creator never intended in the affairs of humans and that Jesus was only just a good man. Do you see how these philosophies, they're, they're, not just, they're not just subtle. They're actually undermining all of creation. They're all, uh, undermining not just all creation. They're undermining Christ. And we could go on and on and on. We could go into evolutionism and communism and materialism. May I even say it? Even capitalism. They undermine. They have a different view of salvation. They all have visions for what it means that salvation is. And that replaces Christ. That's actually, I think, a more robust understanding of what John's talking about here when he says that Antichrist is coming and many Antichrists have come. And one day there will be a figure who stands and he will be the embodiment of all of these false visions. So the question for us is not, Will Antichrist come or who is Antichrist? We should not ask that question. We should ask, how can we recognize Antichrist? That should be the question we ask. And so we're going to look at the heresy of the Antichrist. The heresy of the Antichrist. And now listen, he gives us a very clear picture of what Antichrist will be like. The Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist will be like. In verse 19 he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went, out from, they went out that they might be made manifest or revealed that none of them were of us. Okay, now I want to say something on the front end to this. Because what I'm about to say could be very easily misconstrued. And I love what this means, or what John's not saying, is he's not saying that anytime anyone leaves our church that they're an antichrist. Okay, that's, that's not what he's saying. I, I love what uh, Jim Boyce, he said about this passage. I think it's a very helpful critique and just a warning. He said, we must bear in mind that John is not talking about a mere exchange of one's denomination for another. Okay, so he's not just saying, well, you became a Presbyterian from a Baptist, so you're the Antichrist. That, that's not what he's saying. He goes on and he says, the one who does that is not by that act revealed to be an unbeliever but rather of a departure that is at the same time a rejection of the fundamental truths of Christianity. So I, I like that last line, and he's very helpful with it. He says that the, the true Antichrist, he says rather the departure is from the fundamental truths of Christianity. So that may mean they leave denominations, and maybe that denomination has become contrary to fundamental truths of Christianity. But that caveat's really important as we think about identifying Antichrists. Now, I will caveat this by saying that sometimes when people leave a church for another, they are abandoning the faith. I, I could name multiple people I know who have left the Christian church to become the church of Scientology. Okay? Where it became, they became a Jehovah's Witness. Or they became a Muslim. Like, these have abandoned the fundamental truths that it means to be a Christian. But in many instances, a change in denomination is not what John has in mind here. So let's go on. What does he mean? 
He says in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. And I want you to see the visible versus the invisible church. This is what I want us to talk about. So the visible versus the invisible church. This is the, this is the categorization of capital C church, invisible church, versus lowercase c, visible church. He says the one who went out from the ones who went out from their out from their gathering were not of them. You can hear the very clear division that John has in mind. These Gnostics who believed that Jesus was only a man and that Christ came upon Jesus at his baptism and left him at his crucifixion, they've left the church. And John is reminding these believers, they may have left, but it's not because it's because they were never really a part of the church. I want you to hear that right. They may have left. But it's not because you were wrong and they were right. It's because they were wrong and you are still standing in the truth. They may have been a member of your physical invisible body, but they were never part of the invisible church. The invisible church is made up of born-again believers. The invisible church may or may not be filled with actual people who are born again. Even Jesus talked about this dynamic. In Matthew 13, it's up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Just uh, you can look up here. He says, he gives a parable that talks about the same kind of dynamic of visible versus invisible church. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemies came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, when, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, do you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it, does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done it. The servants said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. So what he's saying in this parable is he's saying that there are believers in the church. There are those, the, the wheat, who, who God has planted. But what he says is the enemy has come and actually put in tares amongst them. And, and even in this parable, there's one who comes to the guy and says, hey, do you want us to go rip out the tares? And what does he say? He says, don't do that. Because if you do that, you might rip up some of the wheat with it. And he goes on and he says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. The point here is for Jesus is to say that unbelievers will always be amongst the born-again believers. And John, John, or, uh, Jim Boyce, I love again what he says. He says the implication of Christ's parable and John's statement is that some Christians are so much like non-Christians and some non-Christians so much like Christians that it is impossible to tell the difference between them in this life. That's a sobering reality, okay? I'm not, not meaning, this is not going to be a sermon that's like, let me make you feel good when you leave. Like, this is going to be a sermon that we just need to see as the, the medicine of God's word that comes to us. And often what happens when false teaching, though, comes or happens in a church, the people who should confront it don't because they want to preserve unity. We need to know, here's something we need to know from this. This is what we need to know from that parable even, is that we need to know that when false teachers, that false teachers are always the ones who are destroying unity within the church. It is never Christians who are guarding the good doctrine who create division. It is always the false teacher. We just had Ryan come and talk last week about, about critical race theory. Okay? Let me tell you, that is a false doctrine that's in the church. 
Not everyone who ascribes to critical race theory is, a, is the Antichrist. I'm not saying that. But if we just wholesale say, oh, we don't really know if you're made in the image of God, or, or like, there's many false teachings. Like we, I'm not going to rehash what Ryan talked about. But I think that's a really good example to say, when we see that kind of teaching seep in, what we actually need to do is we need to say, hey, this is wrong. This is not okay. Because deception thrives where lies reign. And the more lies that a system of thought believes is the more deception there, there is there. So if there's a system of thought that is completely secular or completely says, we don't believe in God's word, or we don't believe in the incarnation, or we don't believe in Jesus' crucifixion, let me tell you, lies are reigning there. So if you begin to see lies reigning in this congregation, it is mine and your responsibility to address them. Let me give you another marker. So that's the first one. They, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Here's the second one. They leave the gathering. And we see this again in, in verse 19. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might, make, be, might be manifest, or they might make clear that none of them were of us. I have seen this, and if you haven't seen this recently... Let me tell you, there's going to come a point in your life where someone who is close to you leaves the church. Maybe this isn't for today. Maybe this is for, like, you're like, yeah, Daniel, all the people I know and love, they're continuing to walk in the faith. Let me tell you, college ministry, if it did anything to me, it reminded me this truth today. And so when this happens and when you see someone who you love and have walked with and have cared about, John is reminding these believers, he's saying, hey, when they leave your gathering, don't become overwhelmed. John says that when a person leaves a gathering, it becomes plain or becomes revealed to everyone. It's not just a private matter any longer. When people leave the gathering, they show themselves to be true to what they're really like. And what they are really like is unregenerate and not born again. John is reminding these believers that since we live in a time that we do, we should expect it. When people leave the gathering, it is not meant to shake the believer's faith. Knowing this does not necessarily make it easier. And if you've watched someone leave, again, maybe this isn't for today, but when you watch someone leave the faith, it should break your heart. But we don't become overwhelmed by it. We don't become and say, well, this Christianity, it's not for me any longer. We don't say that. Because Jesus said that you, you have to forsake father and mother to follow him. So how are we to think about people leaving the faith in this way? And again, maybe this isn't for today, but it will be for someday. I want you to present a doctrine to you, and it's called the perseverance of the saints. Maybe you've heard about it before, maybe you haven't. The perseverance of the saints. The word perseverance is just, just simply means to keep them to the end. The perseverance of the saints teaches that every person who's been truly saved by God will be kept by the grace of God till the end. This means that when God changes a person's heart, they become regenerate. They become born again to the Spirit of God. And then God will keep that person until they die. So when we hear, when we see people breaking off from the faith family and attending heretical churches or not attending anywhere, which is the common thing in our day, we should remember this doctrine. And you might say, well, where do you see this in other places? Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Or Paul in Philippians 1, he says, 
being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And I could give you, I could give it a hundred more. This doctrine is meant to bring us great comfort as we see friends and family and others we love and have fellowship with leave. And the comfort is to encourage us to speak up when we hear false teaching. We should never have the mentality that says, I don't want to bring this up. I, I know what they're doing is wrong, but I don't want to bring this up. I want to preserve unity. Because discernment thrives where truth reigns. And deception thrives where lies reign. Now, in contrast to the people we've seen who've broken off, listen to what he says. So that was verse 19. Look at, listen to what he says in verse 20. But you, referring to the, to the believers in this place, have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Now, I would argue, and this one's up on the screen, that the NIV actually renders this a little bit better. And he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and, you, and all of you know the truth. Okay, so there's... Not to get into it, but there's a textual variant there that I think is more accurate to say. Rather than saying, you know all things, it's saying, all of you know the truth. Okay? I think that's a more faithful way to render that. Discernment, this is what I want us to see, though, is the discernment for the times. The anointing of God. Is discernment for the times the anointing of God? This concept of discernment is really important. And I'm going to give us, hopefully, a helpful definition. Spurgeon said, you can pull the definition up, Tony. Yeah, so d- discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. Okay, so I oftentimes hear people talk about discernment wrongly. They're like, oh, well, it's about knowing the difference between right and wrong. He says, it is knowing the difference between right and almost right. Okay, so it's not the difference between, like, ridiculous worldviews, like, I have no doubt if someone walked in these doors right now and said, God is not real, that people would not be like, okay, I guess I'm following the atheists out the door. That's, that's not our concern. That's the difference of right and wrong. But what we need to know, discernment, what this passage is encouraging us to do, is to know the difference between right and almost right. Because there's a big difference. What Spurgeon is pointing out here is not simply a blaring difference between right and wrong. Discernment is needed when half-truths are spoken. Because the problem with a half-truth is it's a whole lie. Okay? The the problem is is a half-truth is a whole lie. So what does John mean by anointing? This is really important, and I think we need to dive into this for a second. The anointing likely here is an equivalence to the reference of the Holy Spirit. When they first believed in Christ, I want to be clear, if you're a Christian, there's not a second anointing that you need. Okay? We're not looking for, for some second working of the Holy Spirit in this way. When, when you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit dwells in you by faith because of what Christ has done, John's not saying, well, well but some of, you, some of you have an anointing and some of you don't have an anointing. John's point is, if you're a Christian, you have an anointing. If you're not a Christian, you don't have an anointing. Okay? And, and it's really interesting if you see it. So the word for Christ is Christos. And the word he's using here for anointing is charisma, okay? And what, what he's trying to do is, is show an interplay between them. He's saying that the Antichrist, the anti, anti-Christos, we are the ones with the charisma. We are the ones with the anointing, the ones with the Spirit of God working in us. 
And John is showing that to be filled with the Holy Spirit is a necessary part of refuting Antichrist. Listen to how Paul even talks about this, this filling of the Spirit, I would argue. He says, follow this pattern, 2 Timothy 1. He says, follow this pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then he says, this is what's really important, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That's the same kind of idea that I think John is, is bringing for us, that this, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. That's what he's meaning by, by, or by, by Christ and by anointing. Now notice how many times in verses 20 and 21 the idea of truth is there. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things, or you all know, all of you know the, the truth. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. And what I want us to see is the battle for truth. When the Holy Spirit brings these little children what the Holy Spirit brings these little children is truth. And brothers and sisters, what the Holy Spirit brings us today is truth. This is a battle for truth and lies. When truth is present, discernment can thrive. When lies are present, then deception will thrive. What I want us to see is that no lie is of the truth. No lie is of the truth. But some will say... Okay, opposing false teaching is something that's just quarrelsome. Just quarrelsome people do that. I shouldn't do that. But John is opposing false teaching. He's saying that opposing false teaching is a family matter in which spiritual fathers and mothers protect spiritual children in the church. It is an act of love, not anger. This is not something quarrelsome people do. This is something all of the family of God participates in. So if we heard right now, again, this is hypothetical. If we heard right now, oh, downstairs we have a false teacher teaching our children. Now, now hear me right. I've heard, I've talked to oodles of pastors who don't come out and say that. But they're like, yeah, I know there's some, some false teaching, but it's okay because the, the majority of it's truth. We should say, no, 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 no. It would not be okay if they were downstairs teaching the children, hey, just... Whatever, Jesus really isn't God, the, the gospel's not really true. No, 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 no. We, that's where the family of God steps up and says, hey, this is an act of love, not anger. Or some maybe I'll, I'll say opposing false teaching destroys unity. I don't want to destroy unity. If I, if I speak up to this, it'll destroy the unity of the church. And I'll say this, if it destroys the unity of the church, I don't know how healthy of a church it was to begin with. But the apostles say that opposing false teaching is guarding unity. It is false teaching that destroys unity. Some say, maybe, well, I'm not interested in opposing false teaching. I'm just interested in love. But John makes it clear that the reason church leaders oppose false teaching is that they love their church members. And John is literally even called the apostle of love. And you know what? For being the apostle of love, he sure talks about truth a whole heck of a lot. And some say, well, I'm not interested in opposing false teaching. I'm interested in the Holy Spirit. But John makes it clear that protecting young believers in the church from false teaching is the Holy Spirit's work because he is the spirit of truth. Think about it like this. Deception thrives where lies reign. And here's what lies often do. Lies don't ever come 
And again, just like Satan does not come to Eve in the garden with a gun, he comes to her with an idea. Lies don't ever come to us and say, hello, I'm a lie. I'm here to deceive you. It comes and it says, it just plants a seed. That's all it does, is it plants a seed and that tree begins to blossom. And if that tree, that, that lie becomes so blossomed and fed and watered, and we as Christians were like, ah, we don't want to pull it out, but we, because we don't want to disrupt unity. It'll rip up some of the soil with it. No. We need to tear it out because if we don't, it will become an oak tree of lies. And then it will be hard to tear out. But John goes on and he says, he gives us a further, he furthers this a little bit. And he says, who is a liar? Verse 22. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is, anti- he is antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. So what John's pressing us to now is he's not just saying, hey, hey, don't, don't just think about one figure. We need to think about all these many antichrists that are the spirit of antichrist. And John has in mind here not simply one singular antichrist figure, but actually many antichrists. And he says later, even in 1 John, he says, By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You know, I find it interesting that a place like a bank will use, they will actually train their tellers uh, and what a counterfeit bill looks like. But it, a counterfeit implies, as we think about, like, picture of the bank, the banker's coming in, and he's saying, hey, here is what a counterfeit bill looks like. If the banker's only showing counterfeit bills, the teller will not actually know what a real bill looks like. So the encouragement for us is not just to look at all the counterfeits and next week we're going to have, last week we had Ryan talk about critical race theory. Next week we'll talk here and talk about humanism. And the week after that, this thing and this thing and this thing. What we do is every week we come together and we gather around the truth. And we hold the truth up so that when we see things that are false, we're able to say very quickly, that's not true. That's not true. A counterfeit implies the existence of the real thing. Why would a person counterfeit a $3 bill? If you walked into Walmart and said, hey, here's a $3 bill, they'd be like, we don't make $3 bills. There's no such thing as a $3 bill. People don't counterfeit things that are false. They counterfeit things that are real. And Satan counterfeits what is true. He has counterfeit preachers. He has counterfeit false prophets. He has counterfeit people who stand behind pulpits teaching. And Jesus told us that we should not be surprised about that. He said that there will always be false prophets. And the way by which we understand what a false prophet is, is the truth. And he says, who is, the li- who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. And what I want you to see is that like Father, like Son... That is, sons of the devil. Like father, like son. Sons of the devil. John 8, Jesus talking to the religious leaders. This is how he talks to the religious leaders. You are of your father, the devil. 
I think that would, the way Jesus talks to false teachers oftentimes, it, it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Listen to what he says. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So when we interact with people who are antichrist, when we interact with people who are liars in that way, we should not reason with them in a way that's like, hmm, let me reason very kindly with you. Here's, again, I've talked about this before, but the secular vision says, oh, if you can just convince them enough, if you can just show them they're rational, they'll, they'll come to realize the truth. But what John's saying and what John 8 is saying is that, no, they're actually sons of the devil. And their confession is Jesus is not the Christ. And here's what we need to know from that, is that there are far more antichrists than people often recognize. You probably work with antichrists. You probably interact with antichrists in that way. People who reject Jesus is the Christ. So we should be aware that there are more than just one. But we should also be aware of these antichrists and not yoke ourselves to them because they don't know God. Even, even Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians. You know, when we always, we always hear people quote, for unbelievers not to be married to believers, he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? What he's really pointing at is saying, Hey, believers, don't marry unbelievers. You want to know why? Because that's false teaching. When a believer marries an unbeliever, that is false teaching. And he goes on, he says, What accord has Christ with Belial? Of what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And what he's saying is, do not yoke yourself to unbelievers in that way. We ought to be like the tellers who tell the people at the bank, this is what the true thing looks like. They don't give them fakes because every single day there's a new fake being created. Satan is the father of lies, meaning that he just continues to twist the truth. We stare into the truth, not so we say, well, I need to spot every single lie. We stare into the truth so we know not just what the truth looks like, but exactly what we're looking for. Exactly the way the dollar bill is made. Exactly what it needs to look like. Exactly the specifications for them. So that we may see this. That we may be like, like father, like son, sons of God through Christ Jesus. And he goes on and he says, Whoever denies the son does not have the father either. He who acknowledges the son has the Father also. And here's the confession. It's very simple. Jesus is the Christ. This means that they are not only, that they not only have Jesus, but they have the Father also. And next week, I'm, I'm running short on time. I kind of split this message into two parts. I want you to look down uh, in verses 24 through 25, and let's just read it. Because this is the promise. This is where we're heading. He says, And let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, in what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So when he says, so when he says, whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also, he's saying, whoever has the Son has life. 
Because Jesus even said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So again, I know today's message is very, it feels very somber, because it is. It feels very um, divisive, but let me tell you, this is the most unifying message that we could ever have. Because we're unified around what? We're unified around the Son. So let me just give you some closing application as we think about this. Not only will there be a single Antichrist, but there will be many smaller Antichrists who will come. So we should be on our guard. So that means the first point of application would be to pay attention, to open our eyes. So that means when we're talking to a coworker or we're talking to our spouse, even when we hear a lie come forth from their mouth, we should not just be like, ah, well, I'm sure... I'm sure pastor will set her straight, or I'm sure pastor will set him straight at some point. No, 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 no. We pay attention today. Here's the second thing, is we should be quick to speak if we begin to see false teachers come up. We shouldn't be slow. We shouldn't be like, and again, we, we do this in a spirit of gentleness, and in a spirit of love, but we speak. We open our mouth. And then third was we must foster truth in every area of our lives. And seek to root out the lies. Because deception thrives where lies reign. And discernment thrives where truth reigns. So I'm just going to give you a minute. uh, Just a time of reflection. As we consider what we've heard from God's word today. Again, I know that today's message is very somber. There's a a somberness with it. Um, So just take a minute and consider what God has spoken through his word.